We have been in a series on repentance through what's called Lent, through this whole time when we're preparing our souls for Easter. We're preparing ourselves to celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And we're looking at this question, what does it mean to repent? And I've said over and over again, and I'll be a broken record because I want it to just become a part of you, that the Greek word, the word that's used in the New Testament, it means to change your mind. But in the Old Testament, which is often a little more down to earth, a little bit more in your face, a little more physical, right? It means to turn around. And so between those two ideas of changing our mind and turning around, we get a big picture of what it means to repent, what it means to turn away from sin and turn to God, to turn away from death and to turn to life. So we started that series. We started in Romans 1 where we see God removing his hand from the world. I reminded you that we have more than six senses. You know, God has given us, he's gifted us with the ability to touch, taste, see, feel, smell, hear, but he's also given us the ability to reason. And he's given us a conscience. And what has happens when we turn our backs from God, our conscience usually goes first. Then our ability to reason starts to go. And then ultimately, even those physical senses start to go. So we talked about God removing his hand. We talked about true confession. The price tag is high to be a hundred, right? See, when, you, when you're a hundred and you say how it is, guess what? People might not like you like they liked you before. And guess what? You might come out and you might have been living for years in some sort of fraud situation. You might have been living for years in lies. And when you own up to it, Guess what? The cost is high. But the cost of burying that stuff, it just grows exponentially. Every week, every month, the more you hide it. And so one of the first steps of repentance is to just come clean and be honest with who you are to be real, to not front. But here's the thing, you can be real and real dumb, <laughs> right? You can be like, I just don't hide nothing. I don't care what anybody thinks. And then so we talked about not just the cost of true confession, but we talked about godly sorrow, what it is to be real, to look at yourself, and to have the type of sorrow that leads to change in your life. To be able to mourn over your sin. 
to be able to look at the things you've done and not think, well, I just got to bury that deep down. I got to listen to every pop song, every Facebook meme, every radio announcement and just let me just be me and be comfortable with me and love me. Well, guess what? You is pretty awful. Me without God is pretty awful. Me without God is hurting people around me. Like straight up, I'm hurting people around me without God's restraining grace. So that's like the worst advice is for someone to just tell me, just do what you want. Do you really want to get in my head? Do we want to get in your head? Would you like it if we just did a little highlight reel of the week and we just, of everything that came in your head, and we just showed it up on the screen for our whole church to see or for anybody else to see? No. But God does see it. He does. And so we got to understand sorrow. We got to understand that there's a counterfeit sorrow and there's a real sorrow. There's a sorrow, hey, I got caught and I want to make this problem go away. Here's the thing. There's a difference between understanding the danger of sin and understanding the evil of sin. When you understand the danger of sin, you try to manage it. You try to minimize it. You try to put it in a cage. It's like a pit bull that you try to train. And you try to put it in a cage at night. But the reality is, is that when we really wake up to God's goodness and his holiness, we're not trying to manage our sin. We're trying to kill it. We're trying to send it the paperwork for divorce. We're like, I don't want to be that person anymore. Here's the papers. And you send that paperwork in, and you know you're going to go back to that old love. You send that paperwork in, you know that you're going to mess up again. But guess what? You don't let that future failing, you don't let that future failing inhibits you from today dying to your sin. That's what really what love for God looks like. It looks like, you know, Captain America before he took the serum and got all jacked. And he's a scrawny little kid in Brooklyn just getting beat down. And he stands back up and he says, I can do this all day. That's what love for God looks like. It, it looks like you being frail, weak, having bad habits, and having all kinds of problems, but you just stand up again. Just stand up again and say, I can do this all day. I know I failed. I might fail again, but I'm going to try again. We talked about restitution, right, which is the calling talked about, listen, just because God forgives you doesn't mean you're off the hook for making amends with people that you've hurt. So you go from confession and then you move on to true godly sorrow and then you start to make it right. Not try to earn your salvation. You can't. But you can do this. The people that you've wronged, you can make it your purpose to make them whole. 
This is what the gospel does. It makes you whole in the places you've been wronged. It makes, it heals you. And then it makes you a kind of person that wants to be healing to all the people in your life that you screwed over. The gospel is the reason to repent. And it's the reason we can repent. It's the reason to confess your sins. And it's the reason we can confess our sins. It's the reason to grieve your sin. And it's the reason you can be sorry about your sin. It's the reason to make amends with people, to make it right with people you have wronged. And it gives you the power to do that. So what is the gospel? The gospel is that the true king has come. And we read, our sister Melissa read for us this picture, this moment in Jesus' life. We're going to take it big picture, right? Jesus comes into Jerusalem. What I'm going to preach right now is that Jesus comes, and he's king wherever he goes, right? Whether we recognize it or not, he is the king. So the gospel is that the true king has come. The title of my sermon is, so what kind of king is this? Right? It's the kind of king who comes to town. And what do the people do when they see Jesus walking down the road? Actually, he's not walking down the road. He's riding a donkey. <laughs> we'll get to that. What in the world? But what do they do? They lay down their coats. Now, some of you know I lived in Africa for four years. It gets muddy. <laughs> it's hills. It's not like cemented and paved everywhere. And so what will happen is when the chief comes, when, you know, somebody comes back from a war or something like that, the big brother, the dad of the house, whatever, someone important comes, people lay down their coats in the mud so that the big man can walk down the way without getting dirty. And like I explained before, they cut down these big palm trees, these big branches, and they waved them around. And they shouted, save us, please. Hosanna, save us, please. See, people get crazy about Jesus. They got crazy about Jesus 2,000 years ago, and people were crazy about him praising him, and they were crazy about him. You know, the authorities were freaking out. Like, who is this guy? What's his agenda? We need to stop what he's doing. And part of the reason that he had that opposition is because they knew that Jesus was about changing everything. They knew that Jesus wasn't just about healing folks and forgiving people of their sins, but that Jesus wanted to create a whole new society that would confront injustice, confront racism, confront hatred, confront all the crazy stuff that happens. You know, we have, we, we, we see so many systems broken. So many systems broken. I, I remember we had some folks living with us, right? And they were in a crack house. They were, it was a boyfriend, girlfriend. He knocked his girl up. And they were living in this crack house. But they weren't using, but they just had nowhere to be. So he said, you come live with us, but you got to get a job right away, and you're going to get married, you know. 
And uh, if you've been around me long enough, you know I'm like, get married. Just do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, be countercultural. Stop playing house. Just do it, right? And um, anyway, they come, we do it. We do it all in one weekend. It's this massive thing. The guy gets this job at Rite Aid. That was the Rite Aid at 2nd and Lehigh. This place is rough. And um, we live just a couple blocks from it. And then he gets promoted. He gets promoted, and he moves from security guy to guy that is able to carry a gun and works for the security firm that CVS pays. So he's not directly paid, hired by CVS. He gets hired by the security firm. And guess what? He starts to make enough money to lose his insurance for him and his kid and his wife. He goes to the county office, and you know what they tell him? Well, this is what you got to do. Work five hours less a week and get divorced and claim separately. The system is broken and not for you and not for us, right? And so we need to confront all of that. And so what I'm saying is Jesus coming in, it wasn't just that the Pharisees were like, oh, he's teaching different stuff. It was like, oh, no. This guy is about to change everything. When he goes, just after this passage, what does Jesus do in Mark? He turns the tables over in the temple because they were selling stuff. And Jesus is like, I'm not about this. You're not going to do the TBN thing. You're not going to do the TV preacher thing, like buy my pillow and sleep on it and you'll be healed. Like that's a bunch of BS. Jesus confronts the way we do everything. And that's what makes us uncomfortable. So what kind of king is he? What kind of king is he? It's, it's, it's because he is truly the king that people freak out. Yeah, he is a humble king, but he's still a king. And he's not just some genie that makes your guilt go away and blesses you personally but he wants to confront everything. And he comes riding on a donkey. What about that? He doesn't cry, he doesn't quiet the crowds. In Luke 19, 40, another account of this, the, the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the, the, the Jewish authorities, they're like, listen, you need to quiet your people down. And what does he say to them? He says, listen, if you get them to shut up, the rocks and the trees will cry out. See, Jesus, don't get this wrong. Yes, he is humble, and he does things in a really different way, but he doesn't ever deny the fact that he is God, that he is king, that he's in charge. And so sometimes you get confused. You're like, Jesus is you know, meek and mild, and, 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 and we can approach him, and he has kids on his lap, and he's approachable. And it's true that no one's mess is so messy. Like, Jesus touched lepers, <laughs> right? You're going to die. You're going to get leprosy. Jesus, Jesus would hug you. Every time someone rings that bell, you know, that's homeless on the street here. I hug him and I make him coffee and I take time for him and I listen to him. 
Because that's what Jesus would do. Jesus is a different kind of king. Nobody came from such a high position, and yet nobody humbled himself so much. Amen? So how would you picture Jesus coming? I remember when uh, the vice president came like a few months ago, and what happens? All of I-95 is like shut down, and there's a fleet of black SUVs, and you know what? Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. (laughs) So it's like in Gloucester, it's like Jesus is, and I know you've heard me say this before, but it's like Jesus is hanging on the back of Mr. Hauser's work truck, right? You know the one? that's just down a few blocks where it's like, I don't know how that thing moves. (laughs) It's like all exposed, there's no doors. You know what I mean? It's like you can just see the metal, there's no rust, but it's like there's just, it's all metal. (laughs) And it it, it seems like a lawnmower that was converted into a truck. (laughs) And Jesus would be on the back of that thing just riding around. He wouldn't have a fleet of SUVs, he wouldn't be, flexing, he would come into Gloucester on a donkey, just like he came in to Jerusalem. Listen, he humbled himself. People cooked for Jesus. How crazy is that? Can you imagine that? People cooked him meals. Mary changed his diapers. People taught him how to speak. He humbled himself. He was God forever in eternity, and he dropped into this skin suit, and he humbled himself, and he came to this world which was broken and dark and hurting. So nobody, he's the kind of king, nobody's like him. He came from a high position, but he's a humble king. Nobody demands more and yet nobody gives more. He's that kind of king too. Nobody demands more than Jesus, and yet nobody gives more than Jesus. Yeah, Jesus is like that kind of friend. (laughs) Jesus is that kind of friend who expects you to be loyal, but guess what? If you were down in Atlanta, and you broke, and broke down, your car broke down, and you sent the text, Jesus is the type of friend that's like, it's 2 a.m., don't care, on my way, got you. But guess what? Guess what? He'd expect the same thing. (laughs) Have you ever had friends like that? I feel bad for people that haven't had friends like that. I mean, friends that will beat people up for you. We all need those kind of friends. (laughs) Amen? (laughs) Because sometimes you get into spots. You need, we don't understand loyalty. God calls us to be loyal. Nobody demands more, and yet nobody gives up more. Some Christians lose this perspective. They lose track that Jesus demands everything, and they focus on the fact that he gives everything. I was talking to a good friend of mine planning a church in Philly, and he was telling me about these two situations that he had recently. And he had a family, Christian family. They came. It's, you know, it's just like us, like even more so. There's all this stuff to set up. They don't have a permanent space yet. They're not established. And so this really solid, stable family that was coming, they served, and they came like an hour before service. Um, And that's about it. And they were out kind of at the end. 
And then they, they talked to him and they said, you know what, we came to church, but we just don't have peace. You know, like we want to we wanna come to church and just feel peace when we come to church. Which is like, listen, I get it. When you have kids, it's not easy. It's not easy on a regular basis coming to serve. You know, it's not easy getting a text like, text Lisa like 20 times a week to drive people around. It's not easy. <laughs> but, but Jesus demands everything. And it should change your perspective. You shouldn't come to church being like, what did I get out of it? You know, like when, when people will ask each other, like, were you blessed by the service? Or how did it make you feel and all this stuff? And then folks are like, yeah, I wasn't, I didn't feel blessed. I didn't feel like charged up or whatever. And it's like, guess what? It wasn't about you. It was about King Jesus. You lifted up your voice for him to hear you. You came and you served and you loved people for him. It's not just about you and about what you're experiencing all the time. So there's that couple, and then there's this other couple, this other guy actually, and he just became a Christian. He just became a Christian. And he's like, so yeah, I'm going to move in. Um, we got this apartment. It's awesome. And uh, moving in with my girl is going to be great. And the pastor's like, my friend's like, hey, listen, like, if you are going to follow Jesus, um, yeah, you can't do that. And the guy was like, genuinely like, really? Like, I never heard that before. <laughs> really? And he was like, yeah. And then the guy thought about it. And he'd been a Christian for like two weeks. And you know what he said? He said, that's really hard but that's what I'm going to do. And I see it all the time where people who are seeking God, people who claim no faith at all, like what we're doing, they're ready to throw in. They want to serve. They want to show up. They want to give to it. Meanwhile, sometimes us Christians, we're like licking our wounds and we're sitting overwhelmed in the corner and we forget that Jesus not only gives all, but he demands all. And like I preached last week, Instead, well, instead, when the devil causes you problems, when you're wounded, when you're struggling, what you need to do is you need to give the devil the middle finger, right? That's what I'm saying. I want you to never forget that. When you are struggling, when you are going through it, Christian, listen to me, Christian, don't be like, you know what? Don't let, don't let Satan become your king and master. Kneel before him and say, uncle, life is too much. Say, the harder life gets, the more I'm mad at the devil trying to ruin my life. And we, we just, we have to push back. This Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee. You think that we should resist the devil with nice words? You think there's no emotion in that? You think there's no fight in that? You think it's just like, quote, a Bible verse that's stitched above your door? <laughs> Has a precious moment figure? I hate that stuff. But yeah, anyway, another thing, another thing. <laughs> you got him. 
Admit it, you got those precious moment figurines. <laughs> so let me ask you in conclusion, what do you think of Jesus? A preacher named A.W. Tozer said, what you think of God is the most important thing about you. It's because it determines what you value, what you're doing with your life, how you're raising your kids. It determines every single thing. Sometimes our actions don't follow our beliefs. And we need to repent. You know, but sometimes sometimes our actions are better than our beliefs. I mean, I thank God for that. There's a lot of people in Gloucester. Like I know a lot of dudes, right, who like aren't beating their women, right? Who are like holding down a job taking care of their kids, but if you talk to them philosophically, they're nihilists. They're like, I don't know that any of this means anything, but, you know, and it's God's common grace that holds us up. And so sometimes we act better than our beliefs, and other times we act worse than our beliefs, but we are called to act according to our beliefs in a way that transforms our lives. God for his grace. So where are you loyal to the king in your life? Where are you loyal? Where are you laying down your coat? Where are you waving, celebrating? Do you give? Do you gather with believers? Do you rearrange your life for him? Do you serve? Lent gives us an opportunity to do all this. This week gives you an opportunity. But here's the thing. You can do everything this week. Go to the Phillies game, fellowship tomorrow night. Pack meals Thursday night for 400, actually 500 families. Help deliver meals on Saturday. Come on Easter Sunday, serve, not even hear the message, not hear the, not sing, not hear the message, nothing, but just serve kids the whole time. You can do all that. Look, the people in this crowd, what did they do? They're shouting, save us, please, save us, please. But in five days, they're going to be shouting, crucify him. And here is the irony. Here is the irony. We have to own the first to really experience the second. We have to realize that we are the one, and it was our sin, that is everything we did that put Jesus on the cross. And then we can cry out. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. When we realize how bad we are, we're able to see how good God is for us. So 1988 is one of my favorite songs. B.B. King and U2 came together and they, 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 they wrote this song, When Love Comes to Town. Now there's this old hymn that you might have heard where are you there when they crucified my Lord? Now, it's a beautiful and haunting song. <laughs> Amen. But here's the thing about it. You could sing that song and you could kind of put yourself out of the picture like you were just a witness. Like you were an innocent bystander. <laughs> 
And this innocent man is being hung on the cross, and you had nothing to do with it. Let me, let me read you these words um, from you two. Song play, with B.B. King playing, it's a great song. When love comes to town, I'm going to jump on that train. Jesus is coming to Jerusalem. Jesus is coming to to Gloucester City. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. I was there when they crucified my Lord. I held the scabbard when the sword drew his sword. I threw the dice when they pierced his side, but I've seen love conquer the great divide. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that train. When love comes to town, I'm going to catch that flame. Maybe I was wrong to ever let you down, but I did what I did before love came to town. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us. We weren't just innocent bystanders. We were the ones shouting, crucify him. We are a part of the problem in our own lives and also systemically. All those things, those little pictures, the racism, the foster care, the, the, the injustice in this world. We are beneficiaries of it. We are victims of it. Lord, we pray, Father, that you would be king and you would set everything right. And Lord, you have come to town. And Lord, I pray we wouldn't miss that train. <laughs> I pray we wouldn't miss responding to your love. As we have that opportunity now. And I just pray, Father, that we would respond. And if there's anybody here that feels like, I just, I, I don't know what to do. I pray that they would hear this prayer for them. And they would pray with me. Lord, I don't know everything about you and everything fo about following you, and I don't know all this church stuff, and I kind of don't agree with it all, but Lord, I pray that you would forgive me, and I pray that I would step in a direction towards you. Lord, strengthen and grow my faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.